When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to The Tent. I'm your host, Scott Feldman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. Think back to the beginnings of your hobby experience. Remember how excited you were just to keep tropical fishes, regardless of what type they were. Remember the magic of just seeing those colorful fishes, the ones which the hobby has for better or for worse, anointed as beginner's fishes for their adaptability and resilience. Remember seeing those swimming actively in your tank filled with plastic plants, colored gravel, and maybe an ornament or two. Pure magic, right? I mean, yeah. Now think about what you could do with those old friends, those so-called beginner's fishes, the so-called common fishes, which with your evolved skill set, mental shift optimized attitude and experience, you can look at in a whole new light. Consider featuring one of these species in an aquarium which recreates to the best extent possible many of the environmental, chemical, and physical aspects of their natural habitat. Can you imagine what you could accomplish? The mind boggles. Now, I'm not just talking about a biotope aquarium, which is a completely, I don't want to say a different, but sort of an ancillary idea. I'm talking about looking at the function. And I'm talking about looking at fishes that are common in the the aquarium hobby, but which came from somewhere, right? Want a personal example of a beloved beginner's fish, one that I've almost forgotten about over the decades, one that I think could benefit from a little more TLC and perhaps a new approach. I was just thinking, by the way, how would you like to be called a beginner's fish or a common fish anyway? And what the fuck does that mean? I mean, there's, every fish is common if it's available to us, right? Weird. Anyway, I'm musing. As a kid, I think one of the most memorable sights in my first 10-gallon aquarium, complete with you know the regulation issue, blue gravel and plastic plants, was my group of eight zebra danios uh, racing around at high speed in the tank in this furious fashion as if they had to get somewhere in a big freaking hurry, only to reverse course and do it all over again. Now, probably they were freaked out because they were in a 10-gallon aquarium and it was too small for them. I don't know, but I've never forgotten how much I like zebras or almost any other danio species I've ever kept in the aquarium, except for the giant danio because they're, they're big. That's just me. Anyway, an amazing thing about the zebra danio is that it's probably the most bulletproof species you can keep in an aquarium. In fact, I recall reading not long ago that it's tolerated temperature raise, a range, excuse me, based on wild type localities that is found in is from 76.2 degrees Fahrenheit to 101.5 degrees Fahrenheit. That's 24.6 to 38.6 Celsius. I mean, if that isn't a broad range, nothing is. And it tolerates water with a pH ranging from 6.0 to 8.0. Yeah, these guys are hardly what you'd call a fussy fish. They come from widely varying aquatic habitats in their natural range too, which means a lot of interesting possibilities for replicating them. But we don't think about them as fishes that we want to replicate our natural natural habitat for. We just put them in a planted tank and that's that. You know, you know how I am. Once I hear that, I get all these weird ideas like, what if we mimic the conditions of the natural habitat of the fish? Would they do better? Is there an advantage to doing this? What could you expect to achieve? I think like this for so many fishes, and I, th- I know a lot of you do too. As if to shun the fact, of course, that 90% of what we keep in the aquarium these days has never seen a stream, a pond, a river, or flooded forest. They all come from hatcheries and fish farms and so forth. But that being said, it's just, I don't know, it's irresistible to me to think about this kind of stuff. 
taking the most common of common aquarium fishes and giving them, I don't know, throwback conditions, seeing if it somehow awakens something locked into their genetic code over eons, just something. I mean, it's kind of silly, I suppose. There are so many other things to do in the hobby, especially when one considers that many of the fishes like that I'm musing about here, like the Daniels, have been kept and bred in aquariums for generations. Yet, I can't help but wonder if we can learn something from replicating some aspects of their long-forgotten wild habitats. Not just learning about the habitats, too, but understanding them. And in regards to our friend, the Zebra Daniel, what's interesting to me is the habitats in which these fishes are found. I know that must shock you, right? But hey. Now, typically, these fishes are found in northern India, and this area is subjected to seasonal rainfall between the months of June and September due to the summer monsoon. And the water levels and the characteristics of the habitats they're found in vary considerably at different times of the year. In fact, they're often found in inundated rice paddies and marginal pools with silty, kind of turbid water with very little movement. Not what you really think about when you think of Zebra Daniel as a high-speed fish that seems to come from streams or whatever. But interesting, silty water. And of course, I know a little bit about silty water, right? So during the dry times of the year, the zebras actually spend a lot of their time in calm, shaded areas of streams with rocky, sandy substrates. A completely different environment than a rice paddy, right? They move into these different habitats with significantly different ecology at different times of the year based on prevailing weather conditions. This is interesting because it reminds me a bit of the Amazon Igarape those, or, or Agapo, those flooded forests where fishes migrate into them or are swept into them depending on the overflowing streams and rivers surrounding the, the forest. Yeah, instead of right, uh, rainforest, you got rice paddies. Interesting. And as you know, I have been playing with rice seeds, silted substrates, turbid water, and all that kind of stuff lately, haven't I? So that's really interesting to me. Maybe that's why I'm so drawn to it. So my simple thought is, this fish seems to hang out in what we as hobbyists would think of as less desirable conditions for much of the year, the silty rice paddies, and only spends the dry season in the more permanent, less turbid streams, the things that we probably are more apt to replicate in the aquarium. Why would this be? Is there some advantage for the fish? Is it like better food, better substrate for breeding, protection from predators? Why the turbid water? What does it bring to the fishes? Is there some mineral in the water that, that provides for their health? Is there some, again, protection? What is it? Would there be an advantage to keeping a fish like the zebra daniel in different conditions at different times of the year? Moving them into these conditions in a manner and timing similar to what happens in nature? Or it'd be just as interesting to simply maintain them in a tank representing one of the two habitats it's found in, you know, representing that as a different time of the year. You could do both. Of course, I find the idea of transitioning these fishes to different habitats and different environmental conditions at different times of the year fascinating. Now, I'm not saying that this would be easy or even practical for many hobbyists to execute. Either you're creating two aquariums, two totally separate aquariums, or, you know, you're taking one tank and evolving it as you go. And it's a little bit of work. However, actively managing, as I call it, these types of environmental simulations, uh, you know, we're getting a little bit better at. I know that I've been gaining uh, more experience, and many of you have playing with those so-called urban agapo experiments where you go dry forest, wet, dry forest, wet, inundated, etc. A lot of things to play with. So what would you want or even need to do this? Uh, it's certainly something which doesn't have to be done in order to achieve success with breeding the fish. I mean, this fish has been a captive bred staple of the hobby for almost as long as the hobby's been around. But I can't help but wonder why these fishes live the way they do in the wild. Why do they move to these different environments? What advantages do these habitats hold for the fish? Those are questions that just eat at me. 
would you get different social structures, different colors, different health factors, spawning behaviors? Do they grow quicker? What's the story? What do you get out of the fish by doing this seasonal transition? Could you get any advantage out of it? Using a very fine silted substrate, maybe mixed in with some mud or something similar to, you know, replicate the rice patties with pump returns very gently angled at the bottom, maybe to simulate a little bit of turbidity or maybe barely on it all. It's not hard to search online and find out the geology of, uh, about the, you know, the geology of the areas in which this or many other fishes are found in. And as we know, geology, weather, and topography do have significant influence on the lives of fishes. There's a lot we can do with this stuff. It's just waiting to be done. Again, why do you ask? Well, my answer is because I just think it could be kind of cool. It's weird, sure, but it's cool. Am I the only one who imagines weird stuff like this? Maybe. No, on second thought, <laughs> don't answer that. But I know the fish is bred by the billion in fish farms all over the world. There are many much sexier domesticated strains of its relatives, you know, longfin, leopard, daniels, etc. Yet, wouldn't it be interesting to see what happens when you sort of repatriate these so-called common fishes to conditions similar to what they've been, you know, what they've evolved under in their natural habitats for eons? Yeah, the idea entices me. I've been playing a lot lately with more realistic, functional representations of Brazilian agapo habitats, which I'm so obsessed with. And I'm wondering if, by nuancing the executions of the physical environments we provide, even common fishes, that there would be some unlocks, something that would be more make us more successful with them. I've seen some spawning events in fishes like neon tetras and green neon tetras in these types of simulations. So it's been a plus, and it tells me there's something right. And to me. There's just something plain interesting about simulating and actively managing these functional representations of habitats and their seasonal variations in the aquarium. I think it goes beyond the traditional biotope approach, which seems to replicate more of the look and perhaps some of the very basic environmental characteristics. And this encourages us to examine the function of our fish's habitats and its influence over them. Getting to know old friends in a new light is kind of exciting. The so-called common fish in an uncommon context is well. Uncommon and tantalizing, wouldn't you say? How about giving this a shot? I think it's worth it. Stay creative. Stay resourceful. Stay innovative. Stay observant. Stay diligent. And always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Feldman from Tannin Aquatics. Thanks for spending part of your day with me, and I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of the Tin.